Do you think depression is funny? Well, it's like we're, I know I've heard in many comedy classes and, you know, that exaggeration and specificity uh, are some of the hallmarks of a great joke. One of the things I talked about with OCD was saying, um, my therapist asking me, okay, have you ever not wanted to be left alone with a baby starfish at SeaWorld because you worried you'd... Um, Take a take the baby starfish and try to kiss its poop hole. That sounds familiar, but uh, yeah, I'm not. Wow, I'm not placing it. God goes in to see a doc. Says there's something wrong with me. I got. The sadness I can't shake now Is there something I can't take now It's the hilarious world of depression, a show where top comedians talk about their experiences with clinical depression to give some insight, make you feel less alone, and have a laugh or two. I'm John Moe, and oh my God, I got to talk to one of my favorite people, Maria Bamford. This is a homeopathic remedy for depression. If you ever, if you don't have insurance... Uh, I'm not sure what to do. Here's what you do. Take a blue or a black pen. You draw a rabbit's face atop your own face, okay? Make some rabbit ears out of a paper plates, cotton balls. I don't know what you have. Uh, you make some fudge, which is very easy to make from what I have read. And you go out on your front porch... You open up your window, and you start yelling at people. <laughs> hey, jackass! Want, want some fudge? <laughs> hey, hey, pretty lady! Oh, it's a guy, sorry. It gets you out and about in your community. And it shows everyone that you need help. So infinitely healing. She's a stand-up comedian, actor, and star of her own show on Netflix, Lady Dynamite, where she plays a character named Maria Bamford. I have a show? I'm a 45-year-old woman who's clearly sun damaged. My skin is getting softer, yet my bones are jutting out, so I'm half soft, half sharp. And I have a show! What a great late-in-life opportunity! Maria is so funny. When she's on, it's like, this is what Hendrix at Monterey must have been like. And she's someone who has dealt with mental illness her entire life. Depression, yes, but a lot of other things, too. And we'll get into all that with her. We'll go along on that journey. I went to see Maria at her house in Los Angeles, how she shares with her husband, Brian. And these pugs, oh, these pugs, wheezing, staggering, friendly pugs that seem to recognize that people are their only lifeline. They are very, very affectionate because it's not like they'd make it in the wild. They need people. This is what they sounded like. 
One rushed up to me as soon as I arrived, wanting to make me happy, but not knowing how, so it just wheezed and shuffled around. It was delightful. Even more delightful, this was one of the first things Maria said in our interview. The, the odd thing is that um, I am on such a cocktail of delightful medications that I uh, have not felt depressed in about four years. Like, absolutely. And, and this is a revelation for me. That was great to hear because she has had a very long, very bumpy road. We'll back up to about 1979, 1980. Nine or ten, I started uh, writing in journals that I wanted to die and wanted to, you know, kill myself. And <laughs> I'd leave them around the house, as you do. And my mother would read them, honey, do you want, are you gay? That was her main concern, was I gay? Seems like an odd go-to, but I get it. Once the depression was in place, it took up residence staying with Maria into adulthood. I never understood when somebody would say, come on, let's go do this. It's going to be fun. I'd be like, you mean it's going to be another set of extremely uncomfortable circumstances that I'm going to have to grit my teeth through uh, a unique uh, uh, cross to bear. And her condition evolved and took on new dimensions. She was treated for an eating disorder, put on Prozac at 19 as her depression morphed. Some of the things that I had was sort of agitated depression, like uh, not only uh, depressed, but just like having a tremendous amount of energy <laughs> while while being uh, feeling terrible. Is that what was commonly referred to as manic depression? Uh, I I don't I know there's some um, like there mixed states. I think mixed state is when you have. Hypomania plus you're feeling depressed. So you have, that's a very dangerous place to be where you have all the energy to kill yourself, um, which I think as a kid, I felt that uh, a lot or enough that, you know, developing an eating disorder, I think was very helpful in that it, it kind of would knock me out or kind of like. Uh, sap your energy. Yeah, sap my energy. And then I, I just couldn't. Uh, it wasn't, didn't have the mental capacity to feel anything. Now, depression alone can be excruciatingly difficult. It can just, just thump you. But when you add other conditions into the mix, it gets excruciating and complicated. Maria had depression and an eating disorder at a young age, but at least she thought those are things that people get. People don't talk about them enough, but they do talk about them. However, she had something else that scared her to death. I just started to feel uh, really terrible, obsessive about, I, I started getting, um, there's a type of OCD where it's unwanted, um, violent sexual thoughts. Um, it's something, uh, you can read about it in the imp of the mind or unwanted thoughts and secret rituals. It's not very well known always in the OCD community. Uh, but... Um, Sometimes mothers who are uh, have postpartum depression can get a type of it where you're worried you're going to hurt your baby and don't want to be in the same room as your baby or left alone with your baby. So it's very similar to that, but like, yeah, I just didn't. It's like whatever is the most taboo. You know, yeah. I was worried I was going to sexually act out on my my parents, my sister. You know, just weird stuff. And the thing, the stuff, uh, the part of it that's. Uh, or 
it's typically people who would never do any that do any you know somebody who's very timid. And she pulls all this along through her life. She builds a career in stand up, uh, small parts in TV and movies, and a lot of voice work for cartoons and video games. She is a success and living with mental illness, which is great in a way people with mental illness can succeed. People with depression can be happy. It happens. But part of her illness was untreated. I didn't tell anyone about the 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 OCD thoughts okay. until I think I was 35, just because wow. I felt so ashamed of what they were. But then I Googled some of my thoughts. Turns out... OCD sites came up. I was like, what? And uh, there's a lot of people. Dr. Rodney Boone. That's who I went to in Glendale. And um, uh, yeah, it turned out that's what the one I love the Internet. It's like anything you're worried about, you type it in. Somebody's done it. Somebody's on a book tour. Yeah. You can catch them in San Francisco talking about how they, you know, killed someone by accident. (laughs) Now, here's where Maria Bamford's story diverges from that of the average person with mental illness, if there is such a thing as an average person. Maria takes her problem, takes her knowledge, takes what she's learned, and then gets up on stage to tell strangers all about it. When I was a kid, I was about 10 years old, I stopped being able to sleep at night because I was worried. I was really anxious that I was a a raper or a murderer or a genocider. And um, (laughs) I had never been a violent kid. The worst thing I'd ever done, I'd given a roundhouse to the breadbasket of Pat Stoffenegger, who frankly had it coming. And... um, (laughs) But I was uh, super scared. And uh, in order to... I thought I was trying to control myself so in case, you know, so I wouldn't genocide anybody. And I would, um, I would clench my fists at odd intervals and then try not to make any eye contact. And then later, no human contact at all. Cut to 26 years later. (laughs) All right. So consider that the hilarious world of obsessive compulsive disorder. She gets on top of this form of OCD that comes with violent sexual thoughts. She's got the depression. She's got the history of eating disorders. She's really, really gone through the buffet line of mental illness. And she's been talking about it all on stage. I heard someone once describe her as America's go-to mental illness comedian. This is from her 2007 album, How to Win. um, Went through a dark period. And a friend of mine told me, you know, there's no shame in going on medication for depression because depression is a medical condition. You know, you wouldn't say to a friend with a broken leg, you wouldn't say, what, you gonna go see a doctor? You never heard of making a splint? Sure, you got bone jutting out of your skin. Life doesn't always turn out as you planned. At least you got bones. You're not some gelatinous encephalopod without friends or prospects. Walk it off. (laughs) You might not say that, but if you did, it would be funny. Now we get to around 2010, and it turns out that knowing about things like depression and OCD, being aware is not enough to stop the damage that they're doing. But then it got progressively worse, I think, as I got older. And then when I did turn 40, I don't know if it was a hormonal thing or if it was just a number of stresses kind of coming together, which they, you know, I was traveling internationally, which they say can bring up uh, manic manic episodes. Uh, And then I just really uh, 
blew a gasket. Um, what happened? Um, I just, just thing like it was a, and from what I've read by Mr. Mr. William Styron, and it was sort of that moment to moment, this is unbearable. William Styron, novelist, he wrote Sophie's Choice, and he suffered an attack of depression in the 1980s, wrote a short book about it called Darkness Visible, which I recommend. Maria had brought up uh, Styron a few times, so I called up his daughter, Alexandra Styron. William Styron has passed away. Alexandra is an author on her own and a biographer of her father. And I asked her what his most memorable description of depression was. Um, I think he describes it as a hurricane of the mind, which I think is probably um, as kind of succinct and apt um, a description from my, you know, kind of armchair experience as I could um, uh, could imagine anyone making. So Maria blows a gasket. It's unbearable. It's a hurricane in her mind. She's about 40 years old, heads for inpatient treatment. The first time I went to the hospital, I was like, I'm just going to get in here 72 hours, just get my meds under control. My friend says I'm talking too fast. So I'm just going to just nip this in the bud and not bother anybody with it. Go to the hospital, uh, get on a new medication, just try this new mood stabilizer thing, whatever, but still make my shows in Chicago next week because that'll, that's a good, that's a really. All I want is to have it all, <laughs> yeah. all the time. Is it? You know, it's just my brain, okay? And, How long were you um, there? Well, I was just there for three days, and I came out, and the hilarious part was that the psychiatrist, despite YouTubing me during the session, gave me a mood stabilizer whose primary side effects are cognitive, making it impossible to think or talk. So by the time I went to Chicago, I was not able to think or talk. I was like, I was having a difficult time. Uh, I had to, uh, I, I, I maybe could have done the shows. Like there were, I think there was four shows I was going to be doing that weekend. And, um, but I had, I was trying to rehearse. I was rehearsed before shows and I couldn't get words out. I was like, Oh, this of is jokes you'd been doing for a long time forever. Yeah. And I was like, oh, this is, and then of course, you know, the, the weeping uncontrollably starts and then, you know, kind of hiccuping and, and then I had lost all my identification and then I cut myself on a cab and I was bleeding and I'm like, it's, you know, it's like two hours to show time, three hours, you know, and I was like, oh yeah, yeah, I, 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 I'm not going to do it. Or this could be epic. Like this could be, or not epic, but just un. Uh, unfortunate for everyone. <laughs> Historic for the wrong reasons. Yeah, yeah. Like, why put others through this, including yeah. myself? And so I called my manager and we canceled all the shows at the last minute, which was super, you know, embarrassing. And what happened after that? What happened after you canceled those shows? Uh, then uh, I went in, a, uh, I think, another time for seven days. Another time for three or four days, and I went through the the outpatient treatment program twice. Those hospital stays did not straighten everything out. Yeah, they were better than bleeding in Chicago, unable to speak, but not a miracle cure. I think I also had a fantasy about psychiatric, which I'm concerned with the TV show I did, we may have engendered more of that fantasy that is with lady dynamite yeah that it's a 
a psychiatric facility is in all, any way healing. It is not. Nothing's going on. Like, it's just a holding tank. N nobody, at least in my experience, I was not able to really participate in anything. Uh, there were a few extremely sad activities uh, that were... Uh, I remember there was an exercise class in a chair where I stood up because I was so agitated, and she said I couldn't participate in the exercise class unless I sat down. <laughs> I assume sort of to, according to some insurance uh, issue. Uh -huh. um, you know, everything's... And I also write wrote material about this, how it's like an art director came in and said, okay, we need, let's break two more chairs. Let's take eight pieces out of every puzzle. I want to have a big screen TV blaring at the loudest level, ultimate fighting, <laughs> lose the remote. No one can find it. Then in the back, let's have 40 extras waiting in line in little nightgowns um, for one single package of graham crackers. Here's a scene from Lady Dynamite. This came out in 2016, and it takes place in a psychiatric hospital. Let's hear it for Maria, who is lapping everyone with her fourth vision board, although she does have an advantage with her hypomania. Excuse me, Janice. I brought in the People Mag Oscar issue, and someone cut out all the Oscars, and now I have no Oscars for my vision board. We should all not hog the Oscars, Dan. Sorry, my dreams are inconvenient for you, Donna. Hey, whoa, Dan, Donna, there's enough Oscars for everyone. Maria, there are not enough Oscars for everyone, as we tragically learn every year. So around age 40, she spent a couple of bad years going in and out of treatment, not getting better. It was during this time that she thought a lot about suicide. She knew it would hurt people who loved her and were fighting for her, but she could not endure what she was going through. I, I don't even, I mean, I'm, it's like what I've heard people talk about with chronic pain or, you know, where it's just, it's unending, but it's your mind and your mind is gone and you can't see you can't see anything. You can't see anything. You can't, you don't have yourself anymore. And it's just, you just want to, it all to stop. And like, there's no relief from it. Like I, I uh, even, I think I, when I went into the hospital, it's like they'd give something to go to sleep at night and I would just be so grateful. Maria recalled this period in her 2016 album, 20%. Why are you here? I said, oh, well, I have uh, plans to kill myself. He said, okay, great. Uh, uh, well, what are the mitigating circumstances? Well, I just, uh, yes, every moment is unbearable. And um, I feel like my, my, like my, my body is like, I did, I got to get out of it. And then, uh, and yeah, I just, I, I'm just worried. Uh, I don't trust myself to be by myself anymore uh, that I might, uh, hurt myself. I just don't want to make a make a big mess. And, uh, <laughs> and he said, "Okay." He said, and then he said, well, "What do you do for a living?" Oh no. <laughs> I'm come in. I'm gonna come in. Come in. No reaction, and I was so relieved. 
he was tippity-tapping on his uh, laptop, and there was a little sound coming from it, but I was like, oh, you know, I get it. You know, sometimes you get bored at work, and it's just, it's nice to watch something. I don't know if you guys see it, but up in the production booth, there's a, a little wimp video playing the whole time of a turtle eating lettuce. <laughs> Anyways, um, so then he turned the laptop around to face me and he said, is this you? And it was me with a lot more makeup and much better material. And he said, well, I had to make sure that you weren't delusional. Since when is it grandiose psychosis to claim that you are in any way involved in the entertainment industry? It's common courtesy to wait until someone has left the room to IMDb them. It would be great if at this point I could say, and it turns out making the world laugh was all she needed. After all, laughter is the best medicine. But one thing, it's not. I think that's penicillin, maybe the polio vaccine. But also, it wasn't true. Her comedy, though brave and honest, wasn't a cure. More in a moment. The Hilarious World of Depression is supported by health partners and by MakeItOK.org. Make It OK is a campaign to start conversations and stop the stigma surrounding mental illness, not just depression, all kinds of mental illness. We enjoy having a lot of fun on this show, a lot of laughs. It's a way of dealing with depression, maybe knocking down the power of depression a little bit. But let's not kid ourselves. It's a serious disease. The good news is that people can and do recover if they get help. That's why we need to make it okay to talk openly. It can be an awkward conversation sometimes, but makeitok.org is full of information you can use. What to say, what not to say, and stories from people who tell you what it's like to live with depression, anxiety, or other mental illnesses. Go to makeitok.org. You can take the pledge right there to make it okay. Thanks so much to Health Partners and to Make It Okay for joining us in fighting stigma so we can all get better. Back with Maria Bamford now. Eventually, a word started showing up in conversations about Maria's condition. Bipolar. It hadn't been talked about much before. I just don't think that that, that was a thing. Uh, at least no one suggested it to me until... That it might be bipolar. That it might be bipolar until I was about 40. Hmm. And, and I don't think I would have wanted anyone to suggest that to me. I would have said... Uh, you can go to hell. Like, you know, like I really was attached to the idea that I was just depressed. Why is that? Uh, I think I assumed like, like the racing thoughts, uh, the idea that I was in any way insane, like having obsessive ideas that in fact are not, uh, a, you know, one that is one, one that would be advocated by society. Um, I felt very ashamed about the possibility of that. And I did get very obsessed. Uh, I very much, uh, uh, I had been working for the Target uh, ad campaign and I got a very- As a manic spokesperson. As a manic spokesperson, hilariously enough. You might've seen these ads. Maria plays this person who is incredibly jacked up about Christmas and shopping. And I remember watching these ads and they were funny, but kind of unsettling too, because are we laughing 
at a person with mental illness, or are we laughing with someone who's just having fun? Well, these commercials ran from 2009 to 2012, during her worst stretch while she battled all these problems, including OCD. Here's one of the ads. The Target two-day sale starts soon, and I feel like I have OCD. Obsessive Christmas disorder. (laughs) But I know it's just the holiday spirit coursing through my body and into my heart and up into my red and green brain. (laughs) I think there's so much to admire about Maria. She is so dang funny. She's also super nice. Gave me a book on my way out. It's something that she likes to do for guests. But I really admire her perseverance. Finding something that could work for her was a long process of trial and error and error and error and error. And then sometimes something working. I think at the point where it just none of the medications were working and I was just feeling consistently terrible and it was like, at one point, uh, my psychiatrist, uh, she did this thing, which it's like part of this stuff that they do, I, some medical techniques. I'm like, is this, is anyone else doing this? I've just never heard of anyone. She had me go off all my meds, which was horrifying. And uh, wow. then she put, attached these like, uh, you know, s- sticky things to me, a brain mm-hmm. monitor Sensors, to see yeah. which med I would be best for me, which it turns out it was Depakote. Depakote, generic name Valproate, is a mood-stabilizing drug used to treat bipolar disorder and epilepsy. And I don't know. Part of me is like, is that, are you just card reading right now? Are you just like palm? Yeah, I don't know. It's Throwing just, darts at a board. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I just, but, but that encouraged me to go on Depakote finally. I was like, okay. Well, Depakote worked. After all that, she found something that worked. Why had it taken so long? Well, her old pal's depression and eating disorders might have had something to do with it. Part of the mood stabilizer issue was my fault. Pride came in the way I did not want to get on Depakote, which is the medication that my mom does well on and my aunt does well on. But I didn't want to get on because of weight gain. Mm. It was all about some... Very, uh, yeah, sad. So eating disorders sad. kicking in. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sad pride thing. And um, and so I tried everything else before that, which made it such a much longer experience than I think it had to be. And part of the thing, you know, it's maybe that's depression too, is like making decisions that aren't particularly healthy. And uh and uh, so then I, when I finally got on Depakote, I'm on a thousand milligrams, uh, you know, wasn't immediate, of course, uh, but I, you know, and the, the side effects are, the side effects are the least amount that I've had, which is hair loss. Uh, <laughs> oh no, my tresses. Um, <laughs> they, they, they were everything everyone knew about me, my tresses. Um, your golden locks. My golden locks. And then uh, I have a tremor, which I already kind of had a tremor, but now it's just a, a little bit more Parkinson's. And then uh, 
I have light cognitive stuff where I, I have a uh, switching around of, of words. Oh no, ho own. And, um, then, uh, what else? Oh, weight gain. Yeah. And I have, I, I have put on uh, about 10 pounds, but I think maybe before I was, you know, ridiculously scrawny, you know, or very, I was, uh, as my friend says, red carpet scrawny, which is <laughs> always beloved in Los Angeles. Yeah, that's highly prized around here. Have you been here. sick? <laughs> um, is that something How do that... I get it? Breathe on me. Finally, she arrived at a diagnosis and it was scary, but at least she knew what it was. Bipolar 2, not 2 as in also. T-W-O, okay. which um, it's the one Catherine Zeta-Jones has, okay? Demi Lovato, I don't know, you know if you get a subscription to Bipolar Magazine, it comes out quarterly, which is interesting. They just can't bring themselves to yes, put it out any more often that's than that. The, that's <laughs> the, the joke. Stepped on your punchline. <laughs> so she had to read up on that. Bipolar 2, from what I remember reading over and over again, is long stretches of depression, and then you'll have like tiny hypomanic episodes, which are like mania, but without, um, oh, I think that's our dog having a seizure. Oh, it's serious. I'm going to check that. Loops. You doing okay? Oh, no. It's Betty with a cookie. Um, So it wasn't a seizure? It was a cookie? No, it's Betty with a um, Nilla wafer. That's how we all feel around a Nilla wafer. <laughs> she was reacting to a Nilla wafer? Well, you know, you thought it was when you've got one and your spouse is right next to you, <laughs> and you know that sometimes they you like Nilla wafers too, you just want to make clear. Wait, that's right. Your dogs are married. Uh, yes, they were a, a, a bonded pair when we rescued them about a year ago, and we did not truly rescue them. Uh, they were living they were being, about to be eaten by an alligator. <laughs> yeah, no. they were in a uh, air conditioned warehouse where a number of uh, uh, people were caring for them and uh, giving them treats and uh, putting uh, handkerchiefs around their necks. Okay, you got to understand these pugs were everywhere when I talked to Maria. One of them crawled into my lap at one point, very affectionate. And I think you can choose your own metaphor here to some extent. Uh, I'll give you some options. The pugs, with their constant threat of having seizures, are a reminder of the fragility of mental health. If you were doing fine and have a Nilla wafer, count yourself lucky. All right, here's another metaphor. The pugs, however improbably, are, in fact, the descendants of wild wolves. And in that sense, they represent the feral power of unchecked mental illness that Maria has turned into affectionate lapdogs. Or, okay, one more, the pugs represent the whimsy, the light comedy that helped pull Maria along through her struggles. Or they're just dogs, whatever, they make Maria happy. And she's making sure she has the best shot at happiness she can get. When Lady Dynamite was filming, she built it into her contract that she'd have reasonable work hours, not grind herself up making the show. And she does a reasonable amount of stand-up without pushing herself too hard. Although I would love to have the the wonderful, you know, the the machismo, you know, the, to, to say, ah, I'm this, you know, yeah, 
I'm a road warrior. I'm a, you know. Yeah, why would just, you? Why would you want that? Well, though? it's just so. Ex- you know, it's sort of the. Is that status romance. in comedy? St- oh yes, status. Guess where I performed last night? It was just, it was a live birth strip club. What? No, I was not wanted. It was so confusing. Someone was having a baby while other women were taking off their clothes. Anyways, the point is, I destroyed. Um, <laughs> it was in Nairobi. It's Nairobi. <laughs> they were also doing female genital stimulation. It is insane how much was going on during this show. But I got the audience back. And she takes her meds. I do feel better, and it is all the result of drugs. It is, I have done... Straight up meds. Oh, my God. It is nothing... I have done any kind of emotional Sudoku you can do. (laughs) Like, you, if it's been put in a book or a cognitive behavioral therapy or a a 12-step program, you know, I have worked the program. And... uh, Therapy uh, groups, uh, ex- I mean, I am a consummate exerciser of health, all, all that stuff. Uh, spiritual, I've been touched by healing hands with light while angel, ceramic angels surrounded me in a strip mall. I've, I've done everything. And um, meds uh, topped them all. I asked Maria if she had any advice for someone just being diagnosed with depression. Do everything that you can to try to, uh, you know, uh, get some good help, but know that it's hard. I mean, I have had every, uh, thing available to me and it's been hard. It's a lifelong struggle. Yeah. Like it's like, I'll, I think my psychiatrist is pretty good, but that it's, I've been like, what the fuck? Like, what did you know? Why didn't you tell me? About this side effect, I'm going to be dizzy all day? Oh, <laughs> yeah, sometimes that happens. Go to hell. Like, I'm not, not only am I weeping, but now I you know, can't stand up. Or, like, it, just just know that you are, are not alone in the extremely embarrassing, uh, uncomfortable, frustrating process of trying to get well. Um, and that it isn't fair and it isn't, uh, easy at all. Um, cause I think that's, I, I felt like a failure, like somehow, oh, I'm, I'm supposed to get better. And, um, it's a result of my actions that I'm going to get better. And it's like, uh, no. Will Maria Bamford live happily ever after? No more recurrences of the bad stuff? I don't know. I mean, my God, she's doing great right now. And that will have to do. Mental illness is a fight, a brutal fight sometimes. But let's go out on a happy note. Here's Maria with her dogs again. Oh, Bettines. Bettina just came in. She sat in her rectangular dog bed. And it's got the eye cat design that's so popular now these days. We got it at Petco. She says it's okay, but she really would have liked something from Paris. She has this look of... I have had such a long day. My burdens are so tremendous. Listen, you get one Nilla wafer maybe once an hour, and then what the hell do you do? (laughs) 
The Hilarious World of Depression is produced by American Public Media. Our producer is Chrissy Pease. Our technical director is Corey Schreppel. Our executive producer is Kate Moose. Special thanks to Jonathan Blakely. Our theme song is Pagliacci, and it was written and performed by our good friend Rhett Miller. Much more about Rhett is at his website, as one might expect with websites, rhettmiller.com. Confidential help is available for free at the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, 1-800-273-8255. That's 1-800-273-8255. The Hilarious World of Depression is supported by health partners and makeitokay.org. That's a campaign to start conversations and stop the stigma around mental illness. Makeitokay.org has information to check out for yourself or for someone else. Starting a conversation about mental illness can be awkward. Make It Okay has tips on what to say, what not to say. It has stories of hope from people who have been there. You can visit makeitokay.org and take the pledge to make it okay. On the next episode, comedian Sam Grittner on finding comedy in just about anything. I managed to screw up my suicide attempt. This is, this is... The second thought in my in my head was actually was literally, well, at least you got more suicide material. I'm John Moe. Bye now. <laughs>